Hello, creative people. Welcome to Creative Conversations. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend your time with us. I am owner and founder of I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, and I am on a mission to expand the definition of creativity beyond a pencil and a paintbrush and to empower people, especially adults, to own their voices and talents that come in so many different forms. This space was created to talk to people with all different kinds of jobs, hobbies and interests, and to have conversations about experiences and perspectives all centered around three questions. How do you define creativity? How do you incorporate it into your life? And why do you think it's important? Then we have a free-flowing conversation and we see where it goes. So I have had the opportunity to speak to so many. I've spoken to musicians, comedians, doctor, lawyer, wrestlers, Reiki masters, and entrepreneurs as young as 13. And these conversations explore the reality that creativity is not cute, it is necessary. People have defined creativity as that magic spark, how we show up in our life, imagination, basically all that we are and want to be, do, or have. So I believe from my heart that sharing these stories gives one the ability to expand their thinking, open themselves up for more self-expression, to feel more empowered, connected, and dare I say, happy. So my inspiring guest for today is Rebecca Eklund. She is an author, editor, and certified soul-based coach who helps clients find their intrinsic and empowered methods to pursue personal growth or to work through transitions in their personal, professional, and creative lives. She is also the founder of CEO with Wings, LLC, a coaching business that supports authors, caregivers, creatives, artists, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to infuse their life with creative energy, purpose, and clarity. Rebecca, welcome to the space. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I, you know, I am so excited because I believe we started working together a couple years ago on one of your multi-author books. And you mentioned that you had this podcast about creativity exploring what it means and ever since that time I've wanted to be a guest and I finally made it we finally ah, yes <laughs> I am so happy that you're here because everybody you need to know Rebecca she has such a beautiful presence about her and I can't wait for you to get to know her more so on that note I want to welcome those here with us live thank you so much for being here we appreciate you any questions or comments, please feel free to put them in the chat box so you can be part of the conversation. And we're just going to start to dive in. So, Miss Rebecca, you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. We're sitting around the table having a conversation. So that being said, is there any kind of a fun fact or something that you would like to share with us before we dive into the official questions? Well, I thought it was so funny that this was like our opening question because, um, and we'll get into some of what I do in my work, but some of what happens with soul-based coaching is we, clients often witness synchronicity in their lives as a result of the work that we do. And I was just um, reading a memoir this afternoon, Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal by Janet Winterson, which I recommend if anybody is out there interested in an interesting memoir. And I read the line that she writes that creativity is the capacity in us that tries to save us from madness. 
Um, and I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, on the day that I'm going to podcast, how appropriate is that <laughs> quote? So um, I guess by that, I should just say I'm a, I'm a voracious reader, a writer and editor, as you mentioned. And um, yeah, I, I just thought that that was such a the way of the universe welcomed me into the space before I was even here. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Isn't that beautiful when we have that awareness? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like you, you see the little breadcrumbs kind of. It's like, oh, my gosh. Okay. You're always talking creativity, but we're literally going to be talking it, you know, tonight. So how perfect is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So this is a beautiful segue into the first official question, which is for you, Rebecca, how do you, how do you define creativity? You know, I actually had to sit down and kind of muse about this on the page for a while because I think that it's such a, in some ways, it's such an elemental part of who we are that it's really hard to pin down. Mm. On my website, um, when I launched my business, I wrote that creativity is play. Um, and that came from just the this bodily sense that I have when I'm creating something, you know, regardless of what it is, if it's a, a painting or collage, a finger painting even, I don't mean to elevate that. But there's this sense of lightness, of play, of almost a bubbly energy. And when I really started to think about it or, or explore this idea more, I think that there's a certain alignment for me of creativity with curiosity. You know, mm. it's this innate compulsion that's a part of our human natures that compels us to ask questions, right, of both ourselves, but also of the world around us. And that I think mm. when we ask enough of these questions, they just kind of like bubble up from inside us as if by chemical reaction and spill out through our hands or voices and invite us to create, right? These things that can serve as possible answers, um, whether they be right, wrong, um, experiments even. But I think that it's kind of just a part of our nature, but also nature in terms of the big N in the universe around us, life force, you know, creativity is Genesis. I think that those two things are very much aligned. You are such a writer with your words <laughs> because everybody, do you hear how poetic you are so um, descriptive with your words? And just when you started off saying, I love the, uh, the scaffolding, basically, creativity is play, creativity is lightness, creativity is bubbly, it's an energy. And then it's curiosity. It's asking the questions, which then create this bubbling reaction and serve as possible answers like it's just such a beautiful picture in my mind well i and i i guess where i'm kind of coming from is what i have experienced in not just my work as a coach but long as a writer is that i think that it's just a part of truly who we are right like if we look at the natural world and even something as scientific as like genetic variation, which I am not an expert in, right? But there's four letters that form our, you know, DNA chain. And all it is is just the universe kind of saying, well, what if I change just one of those? Like what happens, right? Um, and so there's a kind of like playfulness when we look at processes that occur around us or like animals adapting to the world and trying different behavior patterns or, or whatnot to be able to survive. And I think too, so we have that inside of us, um, you know, and I think the, the thing that I often see is that we, especially in adult lives, tend to compartmentalize that part of us, right? That creativity only exists in certain parts of our lives or only certain kinds of people can be creative or claim that word. And, 
you know, and yet it, it is such a fundamental thing that I think that a part of what I would like to do with my work is to open it up and to say, hey, own it, <laughs> whatever form creativity has for you, embrace it. Um, recently, I was reading a, a lecture by anthropologist and ethnobotanist Wade Davis. It was super fascinating. He was writing about what he called the wayfinders, but essentially in ancient Polynesian culture, which, you know, Polynesia is, you know, all these islands across very many miles of ocean on the planet. How did these people who had no modern navigation traverse the oceans to get from one place to another? Because they did, right? We know that they did. We have proof that they did. Um, and out of this lecture that I read was so fascinating, which is what I'm exactly what I'm talking about is that these people would ask these kinds of questions like, well, what does it mean that the, the stars rise from a certain point in the horizon and set here? Is there a correlation day to day? And how can we use that to orient ourselves in this world that is like loquacious and not on land? Um, and I see that as an act of creativity, right? To discover ways by which we can navigate the world and to find solutions, that's a creative endeavor. It's not just um, sitting down and, and creating a beautiful self-portrait, although it certainly can be. Um, creativity is not just the, the genius that it takes to sit down at a desk and write a, a moving story, although it can be. Um, you know, people have been creative since people have existed. You know, that's the reason why we're still on the planet. <laughs> we learn how to do things. We, we watch the world and ask, how can we make this better? How can we adapt? Um, and so in that way, I guess I come to this interview with a spirit of just, we all have this capacity. We've, inher we've inherited it through, you know, our evolution, I guess. Also our, our parents, you know, who are survivors in the world still, still with us. And so really to embrace it and use it for what it can, what it can give us because it is an essential part of our being. Well, thank you for all of that and so many takeaways in what you said, and we're going to dive in and get to know you more, Rebecca, but I want to just acknowledge when you said claim that word, that really resonated with me to claim the word creativity and asking questions and learning how to do things. So this is why we're here, everybody. It's, it's this expansion. This is why I've created this space because it's this expansion of this definition of the societal definition of this word creativity, where it's often like you reference Rebecca, that it's, it's given to certain people. Mm -hmm. If you're on a stage, if you're writing, if you draw or paint, if you're a musician, then you're considered within the societal terms, a creative being. But what we are doing here, everybody, through having these conversations is expanding this definition so you can claim your word. Mm -hmm. So you can see yourself within this umbrella of what this word means and create a meaning for you so you can own your talents. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that I read this past year um, was a book by Darian Halprin, The Expressive Body in Life Art and Therapy. So she's done a lot of work in expressive arts therapy. She comes from a more of a dance so a movement background. But mm -hmm. one of the things that she wrote in her book was about how in many ways, creativity um, in terms of how we are, it's understood in the larger context of society suffered the same kind of divorce that um, mind and body did as a result of the Cartesian split, right? Like, like there's certain compartmentalized places where creativity is acceptable. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's in an artist's studio, it's segmented away from the mainstream, 
for the most part. Um, in a lot of ways, she, she claims that this is where the narrative of sort of that starving artist comes from, where you have to be, you know, you have to be that person who's tortured and you can't be with people if you're creating, right? Yes. And her argument in her book is actually that mm. for a lot of human history, creative endeavors, whether it was learning how to navigate by the stars, whether it was creating paintings or renderings, dancing even, um, also had a healing power for us. Mm. It, it had a, a therapeutic process that was a necessary part of life because, of course, we encounter tough situations. And that by separating these things and regulating to only a few, that only a few of us are. Um, enabled to to embrace creativity and to create and and you know if you're over on this other side you're not that the healing power inherent in art has really been lost. Mm. Gosh. Okay, so uh, sorry, I'm writing stuff down and I, <laughs> I just all of a sudden couldn't multitask. Okay, so Rebecca, wherever you want to take us on the journey, I would love to uh, have you tell a story of where you've been and how you've gotten to where you are. And obviously in what I've called this, what is soul coaching and let's dive in and learn more about it. That's going to be kind of where we're going to end up, but I, I would love people to hear what you've, what you've done and how you got to where you are, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know that's very broad. It's just picking wherever you want to start, whatever your starting point is. Well, I recently uh, applied to a PhD program and I had to write an autobiographical statement. And so maybe I'll frame it in a similar way. Okay. Um, I see my a lot of my current um, interests really starting when I was in my first graduate program. And it wasn't a program that I had really um, previewed being in, but I was in a point in my life and I just happened to run into a professor in the French department and I had known her from my undergraduate and one thing led to another and I ended up in this graduate program, but I really was passionate about writing and um, writing stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I, at the same time, had applied to 12 creative writing MFA programs across the country and all 12 rejected me. So um, I, I faced considerable rejection in my path. But anyway, I kind of had this moment at that time in my life when I realized that I really needed to make a change. And so that was when I became an athlete, which is a big part of my story. I don't want to go into too much of that because I, mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't want to distract. But a lot of what I do as a soul-based coach also includes body, embodying kind of what you want to have happen. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I, I returned to my writing. Um, and completed the program in French. And then I was accepted actually on scholarship to the Master of Fine Arts program at St. Mary's College in creative nonfiction. Um, and from that point, I, you know, I got that degree. I ghost wrote a couple of memoirs. Um, in 2018, I co-authored a memoir that tells the story of the first mental health diversion court in the United States called A Court of Refuge. Um, and so that was, well, yeah, I said 2018, 2021. Of course, with COVID, we were all set home. And that was when I began to investigate kind of a different way of using storytelling, um, which brought me to soul-based coaching, which um, I can get into kind of the more technical details of that, but I completed the certification program. It is a nine-month certification program that requires um, I, I guess I, I practicum hours, I, I guess I shouldn't call them clinical hours, but practicum hours in order to become certified. So working with a certain number of clients for hours 
And, um, and that is what brought me here. And so truly, I guess, you know, what I'm bringing is a, a history of being a storyteller. Um, I would say that my interests in nonfiction lie primarily with the way in which stories themselves want to be told. I think the power of nonfiction is that you can play with structure and organization and all of that because you're telling truth. Truth doesn't change. So therefore, it, it's interesting the ways in which you can actually be more true by maybe telling something out of chronological order or, or you know, being a little bit more lyrical about it that you don't quite have in the fictional sphere. Ooh, um, I love that. Love that point. <laughs> thank you. And and I guess just the athletic part of it, um, you know, there was a lot of a lot of kind of hurt in my in my younger years that the athleticism brought a narrative of um, and what I love so much about races is that there's inherently a beginning, middle and an end to them. But um, this this constant narrative of having the challenge and being faced with difficulty and then being able to prove myself that I could do it, that I was um, and it, like literally stronger than I thought, but then also in other ways in terms of mental, you know, acuity and whatnot moving forward. So um, all of that, I guess, led me to soul-based coaching where, you know, and it's, it's a different modality. I don't go into a session necessarily having, actually, I really don't have a, a goal for my client. It's all client-generated work. What I mm -hmm. do is I create an energetic presence. Um, I use language in a very specific and research-based way in order to um, facilitate somebody to their own true desired outcome. Uh, and that's all very, I sh I, I'm actually feeling like I'm being a little bit too abstract with all of that, but that's been my journey to this point. I did not plan on becoming um, in any, in any case a healer, although I have just, I had the fortune of growing up with grandparents who were artists. Um, my grandmother had a studio. Um, my dad was interested in photography and taught me, you know, to take pictures on a camera that had a light meter, like a manual light meter that you had to read. Um, so I, I was, I grew up with spaces that were dedicated to creative endeavors, which I don't think, I mean, a lot of us do have that, but a lot of us don't. Yeah. And so I've, I've had that appreciation for creativity my entire life, which is a gift. So, so it was nurtured in you, you were presented with that. And I kind of want to go back to one of the things that I, I didn't want to interrupt your, uh, your flow of thought, but are you fluent in French? Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. Yes. I, I lived in France as an exchange student when I was 17 from January to July in a small town. And mm -hmm. I, so that just completely, that changed my life really. And then I pursued a master's in French language and literatures which is a it, basically a two and a half year program in that. I hesitated a little bit because languages are living things just like we are. And so when you don't speak it every day, I think a part of it goes dormant. Um, and interestingly enough, for someone who's a writer, it's a bit troubling to me that it's the writing part that goes dormant first. <laughs> um, uh, so, but yes, I am, uh, I am bilingual in the sense that, yeah, I could probably survive if he dropped me off the street in France somewhere, I'd be okay. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I was like, wow, that is impressive. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. So with all that you've said, uh, the word storyteller just keeps coming through. 
um, and ways that we tell stories and something that you said at well, just the ways that we tell stories. And then with in athleticism, you said what you really love about it is that there's there's the structure. There's the beginning, the middle and the end. And then even within, as you were describing um, in a nonfiction story, there's a truth, but then there's a lyricism in it not necessarily having to go in that order. There's still a beginning, a middle and an end, but it can vary in the way that you get to that. Mm -hmm. And I just really love how you describe that because stories do have that. There is that even if you leave the end to be kind of open, there's still an end in a sense. Maybe you, maybe the, the, the viewer or the listener or creates their own ending um, to it, but there's still kind of like, or maybe a to be continued. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think stories are reflections of our psychological truths. And I think one of the most impactful or, or, or one of the most illustrative of this was a memoir that was published gosh, it must have been a decade ago, called The Suicide Index. And it was written by a woman whose father had committed suicide and they didn't really know the reason why. And so she was trying to figure out, you know, through her grief, um, the reason why his life had led to that end and who had played a part in that, if anyone, you know. And writing that story chronologically wasn't really true in the sense, I mean, it is. it was true. She lived it chronologically, right? We all do. But for her, the search was actually um, not in chronological order. It mm. led her to time and multiple perspectives in order to come to an understanding of her own, the, you know, mm. the reality of somebody else, right? And, yeah. and so it actually became an index by which she, she um, ordered chapters by in alphabetical order, not chronological order, but sort of, yeah. I guess you would think of it as like concepts that she had to move through in order to come to, you know, mm. through the stages of grief and finally acceptance. Yes. Which actually, again, I think is a really nice segue to how you started, how you described soul coaching. To me, it seems like, and I have been through bits and pieces of it, um, is this aspect of there is a whole bunch of different ways to approach it because as you said it's the it's the participants it's the it's their journey so by you being the uh, the person who's kind of leading in a sense or just kind of guiding how do you determine like the different modalities in the ways that you're going to kind of uh, approach do you have a pre-talk with them and kind of figure if there's more auditory, if they need more movement? Is it very much in the moment as you're can as you're in a session? Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, I typically will have a, a client do a little bit of pre-work before we meet together in order to, in the very least, define what they want to have happen as a result of our work together. So a sense of where things are now for them in their life, what they would like to have happen, and how they will know that change has happened. It's really less about me knowing that. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but mm-hmm. in order for somebody to begin that kind of journey, it really helps to define it. <laughs> you know, yes. I think sometimes, you know, we have these these like end goals, but then when you actually think about the way that you would get to get there, it's a little, you know, daunting. So that it's a, it's an important step. Um, 
I should say the very basis of soul-based coaching comes from a Maori psychotherapist, David Grove, and he's a really fascinating character. And I've done a lot of work reading his research, reading about him. He wasn't much of a writer himself, so what we know is often conveyed to us through others who took up his work and created um, practices and modalities based on it. But at the very essence of it, he, you know, he was interested in people who had been impacted by trauma, and he ended up reading through thousands of transcripts of these sessions with psychotherapists when clients would go to them or, you know, um, patients. And what he found was that, by and large, what happens is that even it, even if someone isn't trying to as a, as a facilitator, you often bring your own biases into a conversation. And I think we can see that like in normal life, right? If, if someone tells yeah. you like, I'm really sad right now, the first thing we typically do is we try to make it better. And sometimes that's by offering our own advice or our own experiences. And pretty soon we've clobbered the other person's experience with our own out of a sense of like compassion and empathy. But so as a true. result, yeah you know, he was like, well, how can we avoid this? Because really this person's coming to a professional because they need to work through this and this is their stuff. It's not the psychotherapist stuff. Right. Right. And so he developed a way of using language that would extract the facilitator from the process and leave the clients in their own space to truly explore what was happening for them. Um, and at the heart of this work, too, is the importance of metaphor. And I say that, and I know that guests are rolling their eyes like, oh my gosh, this is high school English class. Um, but metaphor isn't just a literary um, trope. It isn't something that just occurs in like Shakespeare. Uh, researchers who look at language have determined that we actually, on average, use metaphor in our day-to-day -day language at least six per minute when we're speaking. Right. Hmm. And again, metaphor is is relating one thing to another that normally don't have anything in common. So mm -hmm. a lot of times what this does is like, you know, our internal worlds are not something that someone else can experience. Right. If I'm feeling um, if I'm feeling really sad, how am I going to convey that to somebody else who's not feeling that feeling? Right. Mm, um, right. How are you going to do it? you're going to use metaphor. You're going to say that this sadness is like, and you're going to fill it in with some experience. And typically it will be some physical experience, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I was, I was feeling trapped. Like my back was against the wall. You know, I'm out of control. I'm falling in love. These are all metaphors. We're not literally falling. We're not literally against anything. We're not right. out of control. And what is control? Well, how can we be out of it when it's not even a physical thing? And so his idea was that the way that we use these metaphors, if we examine them without bringing our biases into them, contained massive amounts of information about how we perceive the world and how we're processing it, right? This is about how, literally how we understand who we are and what we are in the world. And so what soul-based coaching does is it works at that level of the way that we generate reality for ourselves. <laughs> through examining these metaphors, which sounds so like I'm saying that and I'm like, okay, I went way far right field here. No, <laughs> it, no, I just laugh because it's like, well, that's kind of everything. I mean, it's like, how do we process and how do we perceive? I mean, it's, it's everyday living. It's our biases. I mean, what you're talking about is every moment us as humans. It's mm -hmm. really important <laughs> to realize all of this stuff. But then when we get stuck, 
it's just a beautiful space to be able to give people the freedom because you're exactly right that this is what we do when we're having a conversation with someone we're always trying to fix a situation by bringing our own biases in Mm -hmm. oh i'm sorry that you're sad well maybe if you do this this and this and the other person could be like no it doesn't feel good to me (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. that's not that that's not how i process information but um yeah, let's hear, let's, I just kind of felt like I needed to respond to something because it was just like, oh my God, that's so powerful. But yeah, you no, continue, well, please. No, and you're right. I mean, one of the first things that I learned in a part of the process of becoming certified was accepting that each of us is able to heal and transform ourselves. Like my role as a coach is not to heal and transform anybody. I don't go into a session thinking like, I'm the Superman here. Like I'm really not, mm-hmm. you know, my role actually is, and this is the other side of soul-based coaching, is the energetic kind of side of it, um, is to bring a, a healing aspect to the work. So, and I do that through holding space, which sounds kind of like woo-woo, but it's actually really um, powerful because it's not something that we encounter in our normal day-to-day lives. And we have someone who is in front of us who is completely receptive to what we are saying, who's 100% mm-hmm. present connecting with their whole selves to you and to letting go of the outcome of whatever happens in the session, not having any judgment and having deep trust that this process is actually going to work. I mean, I, I mean, if you just think about it in day to day, how many times have you you've been with somebody where that's the reality? It's like, it's rare yes. when someone is just going to listen and yes. no matter what you say, um, you know, the next thing that will follow in a soul-based coaching question is, is a, is a or session. Sorry, I, that was a little slip there. But is a question. Is, a, is that curiosity? Mm-hmm. But a question that's framed in that way that I described by David Grove in which I'm not, I'm not bringing anything into it. I use the precise language that the client did because the words have, have very significant meaning that a client chooses. Right. And, I, and it's honoring that lexicon because beneath that lexicon, is a whole system of perceived reality um, Mm. that we, you know, we have some sense of on our conscious level, but there's so much beneath the surface because every day we take in massive amounts of information. There's no way that we can hold it in our perceptive sphere. And so what this process does is it brings up some of that, I don't even want to say unconscious, but it would be just non-conscious knowledge and things that we've noticed and things that we, we just have that, if we didn't have someone holding that space for us, we wouldn't have the opportunity to access it. Yes, I couldn't agree more that everything that you said of when people are like, oh, well, if I'm the one that's doing, like, let's say, you know, devil's advocate or whatever the word is, somebody's like, oh, so I'm just coming in and I'm doing the talking and whatever, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and you're creating and holding this safe, sacred, the safe space for it's so true. Like how often do you truly have someone's 100% attention with no, they're not waiting to tell their story and give their feedback and give their idea on whatever you just said. There's no analyzing, there's no judgment. It's truly someone observing and guiding and asking questions. Mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. powerful it is and i mean there are there are certain 
um, energetic markers that as a soul-based coach, I look for, you know, we, as people tend to orient ourselves toward challenges in three ways. We see them as problems. We offer remedies, which are like little band-aids that might work for a little bit, but aren't really long-term solutions. And then we have like desired outcomes where we really want to do this thing. Um, a part of the, the process is, is working gently with the client to reorient them toward that desired outcome kind of energy where they're moving forward. They know what they want. Um, and when you're doing this kind of metaphor work with them using language in this way, you're actually creating neural pathways that support that journey. So it's like you're kind of testing it out in the coaching session. But oftentimes with a with a new client, you're you're really helping them to get out of that problem state where they're focused on what what they don't want, um, what they want less of, what isn't working, um, where we find ourselves, you know, and, I, and it's not like a judgment. I mean, we all have been there. Right. Um, but again, the power of this work is not necessarily that I'm going to show up and save you. I'm going to offer a space in which actually means for you and to find mm -hmm. a solution from that's developed through your own system. I don't develop any solutions. You know, I, I hold the space. I facilitate with these with clean language mm -hmm. questions is what they're called. And as a result of that, what comes out of these sessions is often transformation but it's it's a gentle one i often find and and the power in it is that it's really aligned with that person's creative energy and i'm using that word on purpose um again because it, it comes from that source within us that yeah you know because if you're in that space when you're being listened to oftentimes what also happens is the person becomes or the client becomes curious themselves like what does mm. this mean that i i have this metaphor about a you know, a, a, a fork in the road and, and I'm at this, well, I didn't realize that I had that, you know, and then you start to ask questions about your own life and then you're, you're sort of on, you find the answer that you didn't know that you had. And it's not mm -hmm. me like doling it out, um, which I think is especially interesting and fun and why I continue to do it because <laughs> I just yes. think it's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So true, right? Like we really do hold the answers we're looking outside so much for the answers for um uh, to be recognized to be heard to be seen to be all of these things we so often look to the outside but we really do have it on the inside and when we when you hold the space when a person holds the space to allow for that um exploration whoo Oh well, gosh. and I think it's really important to just note that we all have our own unique ways of understanding and being in the world. And the problem yeah. with going or, or trying something that comes from an external source is it forces your system to adapt and learn something new, not to say that that's bad, right? Sometimes that's a great thing to like, you know, adapt and learn and adopt, you know, another system, but it's outside of how you, how you operate. Right. The result of, of the coaching that I do is that the solutions and the methods and the desires come from the system that created them. And that also created the problem, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's this, it comes inherently from within. And a lot of times it's a lot easier for someone to adapt what they know that follows the logic that they already have instead of something that's different. I mean, I have kind of an, an example so that I think that I think might be useful. So as a part of my ongoing like certification and training, I, I do a lot of just uh, I'm facilitated by fellow soul based coaches. We, we 
share notes and whatnot. And there was one session in which I was, um, I was actually the practice client and I was being facilitated about a, I, I wanted to be able to somehow escape a really uncomfortable social situation that I was in. And I came up with the metaphor that what I wanted to have happen was I wanted to create a boundary around myself that would be very much like a beautiful walled garden where I would be able to be safe and have the things that I liked and that the people were that were causing me duress were sort of like outside the space, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a part of what I do in soul-based coaching too is that I often have folks draw their metaphor landscapes out. This causes a lot of duress. We can talk about that later because there's a lot attached to that. It's not, but it's not necessarily um exercise it's actually more about information finding because we yeah. have things in our mind but you put them on the page and they become real in a different way right and so the person facilitating me said hey i would like you to draw your you know what we've done so far and i did and i drew out this this wall garden with the benches and the trees and the flower beds and i realized that i had created a walled space without doors so i was essentially trapped <laughs> in this place mm. right and mm -hmm. I had this moment where I was like, you know what, I am so avoiding the situation and not dealing with it in an adult way. Like I'm trying to be, this is not going to work. Hmm. And that was an important piece of knowing for me that actually led to, you know, me dealing with what I needed to deal with in a more effective way. But it took me like putting it on the page and seeing it and seeing my yes. metaphor for what it was like for me. So it's not that these are just like woo-woo metaphors. I mean, this is really like this is what it felt like for me emotionally is that I wanted to create this safe space and I didn't want anybody else in. I think that's a very real feeling that we've all experienced at one point or another. But when I drew it out, <laughs> the implications of it were very clear. Like This is not how anyone can live in the world, right? We have to learn yes. how to have our spaces, but then we also need to learn how to like be with others, you know? And, and that's kind of a really simplistic example of what I do. But that kind of knowing happened through me recognizing my own system and what my system wanted. And the reality is that how that wasn't going to work. And then I had to adjust to that, you know, but that was all me. It wasn't, the, I mean, the person facilitating got me there, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Which is, thank you for that, uh, for that descriptive um, visual because it makes so much sense. And that's when I, I feel like it's the most effective, right? Is when we discover it ourselves, because when you put it on paper and you know we could speak it and say, I feel trapped, I feel blah, 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 I want this, I want this garden and da, da, da. But when you actually drew it, you realized you didn't have a door <laughs> of any <laughs> kind. It's a problem. So, it, which is a problem. So it's it's this concrete way of, of um, and then you're like, oh, okay, now, now I get it. Now, now that makes sense. And now we can tweak and pivot and see, you know, what needs to be done. Um, and I know that you were going to kind of touch on this fact, and I see it a lot in my world with what I do, uh, you know, being an art teacher for 30 years and now working with people on, um, you know, meeting people where they are to, you know, help them birth their stories and get it on paper out into the world. But understanding that you don't have to know how to draw in order to do this. It's not about something looking perfect. It's just about illustrating in the best way that you can by getting it on paper. That's what it's about. It's not about a, a museum piece being created. And so many people get stuck in that I can't draw. Yep. I, a lot of people get stuck in that, you know, and I've seen it as a soul-based coach with this suggested exercise, which is actually just an information 
finding exercise. As I said, you know, we, you know, when you conceptualize something, you, it's a psychoactive activity that I would say that it, it does lead to some change, but when you see it on the page, you have to deal with the physical realities of what you've created. And oftentimes there's a, there's a disconnect, you know, in the mind, not for, you know, it's just, it's just a part of, you know, being conceptual versus being literal. Like, and when you see it, there's information in that image. I mean, literally that image that I created with the walled garden was something that happened within a session. So it was like a five minute sketch. Yeah. Um, it wasn't gonna, <laughs> it was lots of squares and squiggles. Mm-hmm. And it was with a ball pipe pen on um, notebook paper. So it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be an aesthetic object. The, the point yes. of it was really to bring me, I needed to experience the reality of what I had said I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I, I get actually a lot of resistance from clients about creating, um, they're called metaphor maps in soul-based coaching um, because there's this fear of that I'm going to judge them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to me because I, it's the same kind of fear that I encountered when I taught composition courses at community colleges and universities that students were hesitant to um, write, to call themselves writers because of that. I don't know if it's like we're shamed when you're, we're young and we think that um, our creations will never be up to par, if it's a, it's a function of perfectionism, if it's um, the fact that yeah. we have to have value attached to everything, or if it's some weird combination of all of those things. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, to get back to kind of my original thing, I mean, like, creativity is something we all inherit. And, and I think that one of the important things is just to create, I mean, we should be able to create without worrying about the outcome. You know, that, and I say that knowing how hard it is. I mean, I go into a coaching session and one of my first principles of holding space is to let go of outcome. Um, for someone who is an athlete for 10 years, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. And so I say it with sympathy, but once you let go of outcome and you allow yourself the freedom to explore and play and ask questions and create, there's mm-hmm. a lot of magic that's in there. And I say magic, but I mean, it could be fact-finding. It could be therapeutic. It could just be an emotional release. I mean, I remember one day I joined one of your sessions, Hollis, and it was a finger painting thing. And I had this horrible stomach ache. It was like a fire in my stomach. Mm. And I I just decided I was going to paint that, what it felt like <laughs> with my fingers. Mm-hmm. And there was something so incredibly, I don't want to say like I cured myself per se, but there was a lot of empathy for myself that came out of doing that exercise. I love um, that. And I'm never going to, I mean, well, actually I did hang it on my wall in my guest room. I'm a little bit (laughs) weird that way, but I, um, but it wasn't about like, I didn't create it because I thought it was going to be beautiful. I created it because I felt like I needed to express what I was feeling body and I did. And there was something so important about that. Um, and I'm actually really sad for people who don't ever create anything because of you know, I guess it would be shame or fear or, um, or they're just too time. Pre- I mean, there's a, there's a million reasons why, but I, it's like, there's something that's missing about being human, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah. uh, anyway, in my work for clients, I hope at least in small doses that I invite them to do this kind of creation. That's not about art, like with a big capital A, it's about, that other kind of art that is about discovery 
you know, like those, the, the Polynesian wayfinders I, I said earlier, who just noticed the stars and, and found a way to navigate on the oceans. I mean, it, it is beautiful. It, I mean, it was all mathematical calculations and things, but it began by watching listening, and recording. Yeah. You know, and that's the kind of thing that I'm inviting clients to do in their sessions is to listen to their metaphors and symbols and, and reactions and to put it on the page not because um, it's going to be something that's going to sell at a museum. Like you said, it's not something that's going to be in, in the public sphere as saleable, mm-hmm. but its value is mm. its articulation of our true self. <laughs> oh my God, which is, <laughs> oh my God, value is articulation of true self, which has absolutely, it's, it's priceless. <laughs> it's priceless. Okay, so I want to make sure we get to the other questions because what's crazy is we're almost at the top of the hour, um, <laughs> which is freaking insane, everybody. This is just so inspiring. We could talk for hours. So again, in a good transition, so in all that you help your your clients with, so Rebecca, how do you personally incorporate more creativity? I know, We know that you write and, um, you know, have visual art expressions for yourself, but how do you incorporate more creativity into your own life? All right. Well, I'm a total fan of Julia Cameron. And so I do morning pages. So if somebody mm-hmm. listening doesn't know, this is a practice in up really early in the morning and, and just writing three pages of longhand writing. The first thing when you get up, um, it, a little bit of a side note, it's not truly the first thing when I I have a tribe of animal friends at home that ask that I give them treats first, which takes <laughs> a little bit of time, you know, the two cats and a dog. And then I, I write and it's just, it's not even, it's not a narrative. It's just writing what's ever on top. Sometimes it's, sometimes it is a narrative, which is really interesting. Sometimes I like have these way crazy prose poems about space travel. And then sometimes it's like, I am really freaking tired. Why am I up this early? I mean, so it, it right. can be whatever. Right. Um, I, to that, I have added my obsession with like little stickers and things. So I'll add like a little header of, of funny stickers that I think kind of um, suit my mood at whatever it is at that, that particular morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do create art. Uh, my primary mode of creation is collage because I find it really mirrors my my favorite writing, which is the lyrical essay, which is a form that invites sort of taking things that are not necessarily like and putting them next to each other and seeing when you braid them together, what meaning comes out from that, which is exactly mm-hmm. what collage is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even though when I do collage, I have... You know, I've taken art classes and, and, and a lot of collage is a, a knowledge of just composition and how things will look formally in space. Mm-hmm. I often find it's a fascinating practice because it aligns a lot with um, with what happens in soul-based coaching, which is the, the emergence of things that you didn't know that you knew. I think mm-hmm. one of the most salient um, examples of that was I, um, I took a, a collage workshop. We actually... Uh, so I work for an art museum in town, and we are one of the few museums in the nation that has a museum school. So we offer studio art classes actually in a museum, which is pretty weird. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I took a collage workshop, and um, they provide a bunch of publications. So I showed up this first time with literally nothing, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I... You know, so then you get to create a collage that you didn't, you don't even know, right? You just, you're faced with complete blank slate. And yeah. I came up with this really interesting landscape of like, uh, I found a, an image of a, like a 
in earth challenge sort of like writhing and then that became my mother earth and I had a tree of life and I made the roots out of string that I glued kind of across the the contours of this writhing mother earth figure and I have a hawk high in the the sky and this moon woman but beneath it is a is a, a small series of um, folks that are that are holding up that, that they look like they're pilgrim like they're pilgriming or they're 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 doing a walking like you know they're walking great distance is what it kind of looked like to me and that's why I selected them and the yeah. first person in the line is holding up um, this giant mirror with like these kind of um, it's a really interesting frame and this was before I was hired there. Um, I do currently work at this institution, but we have an exhibition that's coming to the museum this fall with an indigenous artist, Tanupa Luger. Um, Tanupa Hanska Luger, sorry, I got his name wrong. Anyway, one of his sort of, he does a lot of artworks that are, that bring conscious awareness to um, different, you know, kinds of social issues. And that image came from his piece called Mirror Shield, Mm -hmm. um, which is in the museum's collections, which I knew nothing about any of this. Um, and it's interesting that I created it in a piece of work. So, uh, and I, I don't mean to say like, you know, collage into the world of like knowing what hasn't happened yet, but I do think that there is a kind of vibration of creativity in the universe and, and sort of like by tapping into that, you know, by writing morning pages, by having some kind of daily practice, you do kind of turn into like I said at the beginning of our piece, this kind of synchronicity, or you begin to notice, right? You begin to yeah. notice these details in your life that are always there, but that might have gone unnoticed because you don't have that practice. Yeah. Um, so I do, yep. So I do collage. Let's see, what else do I, I write? I, um, I am a, an editor, so I work with people who are already writers, but who need another extra pair of eyes on their work. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of my creativity, I'm always looking for ways to integrate, you know, new ways of creating it through the mind-body connection. Um, a few years ago, I took my first modern dance class at the at ripe old age of 39. And I tell you, it was so fun. I was the <laughs> oldest person in that class, but I had so much fun. Mm. And I think that that's a part of it too, is to um, age you are or whatnot, to look for the things that make you happy. And I don't mean that like, you know, that's kind yeah. of a tough word. There's been a lot of like studies lately about you know you don't want to talk about happiness as a goal or whatever but i mean the things that light you up you know like what haven't you done in 20 years that you would like to try again is it hiking up a mountain is it like is it you know finger painting is it listening to music and dancing in your living room i mean it could be any number of things but i think that those yeah. kinds of things also tune into that creative energy inside of us that once it opens up you start to ask you start questions that's when you're like well what if i painted a mural what if i you know so took an true. actual class what if i mm. reached out to this person that i um, like who's a writer that i love like it, it, it can be any number of things um so me it's, it's writing art making um i'm not as much of an athlete as i used to be i admit although i do have a daily just practice of moving my body because i do think there's an importance too which is connecting mind and body we, we tend to neglect that um and yeah all of that <laughs> and then i'm all on podcast like with you and in, in this wonderful conversation we're having <laughs> oh my god it's mm, it's all uh, uh it's like i'm stumbling i don't know where to start so um yes it's that mind body connection it's that being in flow it's that 
allowing the, uh, you know, listening to music and dancing in the living room. It's the taking the class, not with the goal of being the best at it or having to turn into a business or it, you know, it's because the pure excitement that it gives you. And ladies and gentlemen, when we're in this space, the state of flow, many call it, there's many different names for it. That is where you get the downloads, when you get the more connection, where you're like, oh, because you're not overthinking, you're not stuck in your head, you're acting from your heart and not from your headspace. And you're like, oh, I haven't connected with this per this person in forever. I just want to reach out or oh, I just got this great idea or, or whatever it leads to. But it just opens what you said. It, cre it opens you up. And this is where so many of us are so protected. We protect ourselves with these walls because we're so busy. And ladies and gentlemen, we're not all that busy. Like we don't have to be that busy. <laughs> we really, <laughs> and if we're doing it the right way, you know, we say these people that are quote unquote successful, they have downtime in order to work other things into their lives. So we shouldn't be running around like chickens without a head, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not the goal. The goal shouldn't, I find, speaking for myself, and I guess what I stand for in my space is the goal is not to be, um, okay, we got to do this and this and this and this, and then we'll do this. And then, oh, and then we'll realize this and this. It doesn't work. Because mm -mm. we're not, we're not, we're not open. We're not at that vibration where we are actually noticing where we're tuning in where we're willing to make mistakes, where we're aligning. It's what you said about collage is, that's, I love collage too. I've really grown into that um, more so. It's one of the ways that I express and it's taking these things that are juxtaposed. You wouldn't see them necessarily together or maybe they are all similar, but putting them together into a space and uh, it just tells these interesting stories. Mm -hmm. I agree. So, whew, okay. So getting to the top of the hour and the last and final question. So Rebecca, this is kind of like um, putting a little bow on the box as we wrap it up. But um, why do you think creativity is important? <laughs> I'll try to be succinct. Um, you know, I really think creativity is an inherent part of our nature. And that to deny that creativity is really to deny a part of ourselves. Um, one of the quotes that I read in college and that I still write on a post-it note every once in a while and stick it up on my wall comes from, you know, Plato writing of his teacher Socrates that supposedly Socrates said on his deathbed that the unexamined life is not worth living. And there's a lot of interpretations of that, but I think that the creative process demands of us that we question the world that we question our place within it. And we question the places within ourselves. Um, and so I think that the importance of creativity is that it is a way of examining our lives and making them worth living. Um, and then, you know, to lighten the mood a little bit because it's just fun. Like we, we deserve to enjoy our lives too. And, Creativity is play, and why can't we play as, as no matter what age we are, right? 
Um, yes. But it's that continual engagement with our lives, with ourselves, with others, with the natural world. Um, that's what that's what makes it. You know, it's a fundamental part of who we are. And I and I re I say this knowing that so many people, and myself included, spend hours on the computer. Um, and are doing jobs that are complicated and, and stressful and that require our attention and our seriousness. And, and I don't want to belittle that at all, but there comes a point when we have to also acknowledge this other part of ourself that yearns to question and explore and discover and to know, right? And to create things that might not work very well, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat down and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't do that very well. But, you know, like the, the, the journey of trying um, is is worthwhile. You get done and you're like, oh, well, that wasn't, you know, but it um, it's, it's so important. Um, and when, you know, I can just one last comment and I'll be done, but when we deny parts of ourselves, right, it's not that they just go away or they fade, um, they come back and they wear their heads in some, in some interesting ways. And so by practicing, this is just like any practice. It's like exercise. Yes. It's like meditation. It's like a good diet, right? It's a part of our holistic health of taking care of ourselves and mm -hmm. recognizing that we are this holistic, whole body, mind, spirit being. Yes. And attending to our creativity is just as important as like going to the tennis. <laughs> and there's your sound bite. Oh my <laughs> god! I do believe it's true. Yes. Yes, yes, and hell yes. <laughs> it is so friggin' important because these are the things everybody, and we know this, I mean, oh my gosh, how many times do you hear that when someone is, you know, end of life and they are in sound mind and body enough where they can acknowledge how many times do you hear, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. And so often it's, I wish I took more time to dance. I wish I hung out with more people. I wish I traveled. I wish I, you know, stood up and expressed myself more. It's all coming from this expressive space and this curiosity and the discovering. This is what we crave as humans. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's natural and we deny ourselves and this is when we get angry. And all of those feelings that don't feel so good. So Rebecca, how can people connect with you? I am really easy to find. I do have a website. Uh, there's a contact form on that that they're welcome to fill out. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, but less frequently. But any of the social platforms, if anyone is curious about learning more about working with me, either through soul-based coaching, editing, or listening to some of the other things that I do, I, I welcome them to, to reach out. I offer a free half-hour ex, um, exploratory call if they just want to kind of chat through things and see what feels right. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, my goal in this work is not, this isn't like an, um, I don't do it in order to like make a lot of money. I do it because I'm really fascinated by the process, by witnessing the, the metaphor landscapes that are so inherently different across every single client I've worked with, although there are certain similarities as well, which, you know, have inspired me to learn like and read more into this field. And so, yeah, if anyone's curious, please just reach out. 
Yes. So before we say our goodbyes, is there anything else, Rebecca, that you feel like maybe that you forgot or top of mind, anything? You know, I don't think so. I think I kind of talked your ear off, Hollis, and I I appreciate you <laughs> and your wonderful podcast and having me on. This has been so much fun. So thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful to you. And you did not talk my ear off. This was a conversation. <laughs> and this is the whole point of learning more about you and hearing all of this. Uh, this is why we're doing this, everybody. So I'm going to get into the closing, but Rebecca, thank you so much. I am so grateful to you. Um, I appreciate you. everything that you do and how you show up in the world and your light that's offered. So I'm just very grateful to know you. So thank you. Thank you, Hollis. Truly, truly. So, and everybody joining us live, thank you so much for being here. Those catching the replay, we know that you could be doing anything with your hour and we so appreciate you spending it with us. This space is all about connection, inspiration, and sharing stories. We've always needed this, but I believe that we need it now more than ever. People are craving this connection, craving this inspiration, craving this expansion of this concept of this word creativity. So please like, follow, share, tell your friends, write testimonials, do all of that good stuff because the more we get it out there, the more people we can reach and the more we can help the greater good. So wherever you are listening in the world, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good evening, and look forward to connecting soon. So goodbye, everybody. Feeling inspired? Let's just get rid of this, throw away this whole perfectionism thing, this whole concept that we have to know how to do everything. You know what? You don't. Let's just do things and try things and realize what we like and what we don't like. It's all part of the process. The self-awareness feels so good. You feel more connection to yourself, connection to others, and huh? be a happier, more joyful person. Just imagine that. So you are where you are in the process. So you can dip your toe in the water to try new things at a slower pace, or you can dive right in. Here at I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, we meet you where you are. So there are so many ways to check us out. Explore our experiential kits. They have everything in them that you need to try new things. You don't have to buy anything else but this kit and just explore. There's Creative Shui, which is seven elements to join happiness. Through the Publishing House, Express Yourself Publishing, multi-author books, coffee books, solo book opportunities. It is all about expression, all about it. And it's, again, just trying these things and realizing what you're good at. Don't all of a sudden think that you only fit into one box because we don't. We are not made for boxes. <laughs> there is also my TV show, I Am Creative. Check it out. The links are all in the body of this podcast. You can just click the link. And you know what? Don't say, oh, maybe I'll check it out tomorrow. Life's too short. Just click it. See what it's about. There is honestly no judgment. It's all about exploring the possibilities, expressing yourself, and expanding your thinking. I will give you the website, which is IamCreativePhilly.com. So I am creative Philly, P-H-I-L-L-Y.com. And just remember that you are an expressive being, so own it. I am looking forward to hearing your story because we all have one.